dropping the L-bomb. For those of you unfamiliar with the phrase, it means saying the words, I love you. And when you say those words, I love you, it's like a bomb goes off in the relationship. And life begins to change because the most loaded phrase in the universe has been verbalized. I love you. But if you think hearing I love you from a spouse or friend or child is explosive, imagine what it would be like if God looked you in the eye and dropped the L-bomb. Please stand for a reading from Isaiah 43. Verses 1 through 4. Hear now, God telling the Israelites, I love you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For God is a great big God. Though you can't see him or hear him, he is always with you. He never takes his eye off you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, because you are precious in my sight and honored. I love you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. For years in the desert, the Israelites lived in sin. The more they heard of God's word, the more they turned from it. The more they sinned, the more they just kept on sinning over and over again. And amidst the chaos and destruction of their lives, they had to have wondered, does anybody notice us out here in the desert? Does anybody care? And it's at this moment of utter invisibility that God sees these sinners and says, because you are precious in my sight, I love you. And although those words were directed for the Israelites, they are yours and mine as well. How awesome to hear the words from God, I love you. But I have a confession to make this morning. When God says, I love you, I get confused about what that means. The Bible says, quite simply, God is love. But we live in a world where it's perfectly acceptable to say, I love Taco Cabana. So what are we to make of this disparity? Recently, I was reading an article in uh, Consumer News about the 10 most popular commercials of all time. One of which uh, was a beer commercial, you may remember. It was aired a few years ago. It was about a guy who, above all else, desired a particular brand of beer. So he went through great lengths to get that beer, tried just about every strategy. And then when nothing else worked, after he made an idiot out of himself numerous times, he turned to the ultimate words, I love you, man. That's the way love works in our culture. We'll say, I love you, to get a beer. The sappy sentimentalism that smiles on weekday soap operas, we call it love. We get emotional listening to Celine Dion. We call it love. You see, I fear in our world, the L-bomb has lost its bite. And if you still don't believe me, let's look at a few scenes from the movie Hitch. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'll set the table. There's a man named Albert who is attracted to a beautiful woman, uh, Allegra Cole. And so in an attempt to date her, Albert hires a love doctor 
played by Will Smith, who schools Albert on the ins and outs of love. Let's look at a few of the love doctor's lessons. Lesson number one, according to the love doctor, to be loved, you've got to look a certain way. If you've got a stain on your tie or water on your clothes or no Altoid in your pocket, then you've got no shot. Perhaps you read the article in the San Antonio paper on Tuesday about love in the fast lane. It was about a new website, www.flirtingintraffic.com where you can go online and sign up for a bumper sticker ID number, put the bumper sticker on your car, and if you're lucky enough to be noticed in traffic, someone can chat with you that night online. And as the paper said, maybe, just maybe, if you can get someone to glance at you, you'll fall in love. Indeed, it's the way of the world. To be loved, you've got to look a certain way. Well, it looks like I'm still rich. (laughs) But what I would really like and what I was wondering is if I could have $500,000 to invest on my own. Oh? And what were you thinking of investing in, Allegra? Well, it's something that I really have a passion for. Daydreams are for private time. When you're in the room, be in the room. Concentrate, focus. Women respond when you respond to them. My friend Maggie is a really talented designer. Mm-hmm. I've seen the business plan, and the samples look fantastic. And I would really, really like to get involved. I'll tell you what, let us come up with a range of investments that we think you might be interested in, and next month we'll run the whole lot of them by you. Hmm? Okay. Fine. Thank you. All right, gentlemen. Let's go over this one more time. What is the objective? Shock and awe. That was shockingly awful. What is the objective? Shock and awe. What is the objective? Excuse me, sir. Yes, Albert. Yes, Albert. I don't uh, uh, really agree 
with that. Um, you don't really agree with what? I think if you want to invest half a million dollars in your friend's business, that's exactly what you should do. Albert, no, you, you don't need us to tell you what to do. We're a board of advisors. We're, we're not your kindergarten teachers. And if you want to be taken seriously as an adult, I suggest you start taking yourself seriously as an adult instead of asking for permission to invest your own money from a boardroom full of your daddy's golf buddies. That's quite enough. You know what? I'm not finished. I mean, I'd like to see anybody in this room handle the attention and publicity that she's had to deal with her whole life with half her class. We should be taking advice from you, Miss Cole. Not the other way around. Sit down! No, you know what? I quit! Lesson number two, according to the love doctor, to be loved, you've got to impress. Get somebody's attention, shock and all. Make an idiot out of yourself in the boardroom. Because if you don't impress with your new clothes or with your new car or with your new visa card, well, then you've got no shot. You'll get voted off the island. Neither will you make the cut on American Idol. Not unless you impress the world. Then you'll be loved. DJ, um, generally I have a firm no dancing policy, but if she asks, you cannot say no. Dancing is the one thing I'm not worried about. But if there are people there and I'm they don't stand, uh, and then they... I hate to be a stickler, but in, I need to be thorough. And, um, show me what you mean by you're not worried about it. Trust me. Peace up! Peace yeah. Town. Yeah. That's what it's all about right there. Yeah. Oh, see how it gets bigger? Start the fire, but the feet are going. I start the fire, I make the pizza. Hips are always going. From there, the Q-tip. Q-tip. Roll it away. That's not working. Hit it with this. Don't. Ever do that again. <laughs> do you hear me? Just expressing myself. No. No. Mm -mm. Not like that, you're not. All right? Lesson number three. According to the love doctor, to be loved, you've got to act a certain way. For love is not really about valuing who you really are. It's about how well you can act the part. You can't do the Q-tip dance and be loved because love is about being somebody or not acting a certain way to fit in. It's the way of the world. To be loved, you got to look a certain way, impress a certain way, act a certain way. Friends, God's love is tougher and better than this. As I look at our, the scripture this morning, I think the reason God's love is better than ours is because God can see with utter clarity who we really are. Remember what God tells the Israelites? Because you are precious in my sight, I love you. Beyond the antics, 
beyond the act, God can see with utter clarity who we really are. So I want to talk with you a little bit this morning about how God's love, first and foremost, is a matter of God's eyes. And I have three thoughts from this scripture about how God's eyes see us and love us. And my first thought is this. God's eyes notice invisible sinners. As I mentioned previously, the Israelites were rebels. They were people uh, caught up in bad decisions and uh, failed choices. And they were out in the desert struggling them. But God loved them anyways. God noticed them. John Ortberg once said that one of the great miracles of life is that God pays attention to us. Scott Peck put it this way. He said, the principal form love takes is attention. You may remember the opening of Psalm 139. Oh God, you have searched me and you know me by name. God's love notices invisible people, sinners. I remember a time in my life when I just wanted to be invisible. I used to sneak through the, uh, the, the church doors in the balcony of a church I went to because I just wanted to be an invisible Christian. In fact, I didn't even come up for communion because I just wanted to blend in, be invisible. Have you ever been there? Wanted to be an invisible Christian? As a former person who wanted to be invisible, I think there was an irony about my wanting to blend in. And that irony was this. Deep down, I went to church, not so much to be invisible, but to be noticed by God. Because at a time in my life when I exhausted so much energy acting the part, dancing like everybody else, I felt like only God could see me for who I really was. Beyond the act, beyond the dance, God could see what was really in my heart. God noticed me. You know, Peter Manns tells the story of a uh, school administrator who for the first time had the idea of sending a letter of praise home to the parents of any child in his school who got at least three outstanding marks of conduct over the course of a semester. Well, it sounded like a great idea, at least until his secretary got the list of outstanding uh, students mixed up with another list. The list of students whose conduct was so bad, they put, were put on a list for reform school uh, and removal from school. And so the list was sent home to the parents of both groups of children, and I bet you can guess what happened. Almost all of the students on the reform school list made the outstanding conduct list the very next semester. And the school administrator said this about that. She said, for the first time, many of those students had finally been noticed. That's what God's love is like for the Israelites, and that's what God's love is still like for us today. Because you are precious in my sight, God says, I love you. So my first thought is God's eyes notice invisible sinners. And then my second thought is this. God's eyes notice not just who we are in the moment, but who we might one day become. God tells the Israelites, look, you've been wandering around in the fire. And I know that. But I am not going to take my eyes off you. 
Because I can see beyond your sin in the moment, I can see your destiny. Remember Martin Luther King's uh, favorite, uh, not favorite, famous speech back in uh, the 1960s, whom you would change, you must first love. In that same speech, he said, this means we must see more in other people than they see in themselves if we're ever going to be help them become who they really are. Any good parent knows the truth of that, as does every good teacher, as does every good pastor, and so does God. That's God's strategy for changing us, seeing not just the sinful people we are in the moment, but choosing to see our destiny. Biblically, I think the best proof of this comes from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. When Paul writes, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. When did Christ die for us? When we finally overcame temptation? No. When we finally reached perfection? No. When we mastered the faith and got it all figured out? No. Christ died for us while we were yet still sinners. This proves God's love can see beyond who we are in the moment to who we will one day become, can see our destiny. You know, the best illustration I have of this is actually from a friend and We'll call him Bob. He's an older guy who uh, pastors a country church. And Bob is a no-frills type of guy, a real straight shooter, a lot of uh, NASCAR memorabilia in his office. And uh, uh, Bob, even though he's really tough on the outside, was one of those people who uh, uh, got teary-eyed watching Bambi, right? And uh, Bob and I were returning from lunch one day, and we walked up uh, to our church, and we saw where... A couple of our church members uh, were arguing in the front lawn of the church about something uh, having to do with the church lawnmower. And Bob, who's got a big heart, uh, walked over to them, and they didn't seem to really care that their preacher was standing right there. They were just going at each other. In fact, I thought the gloves were going to come off. And so at one point, one of the guys uh, looked over at Bob and said, What are you going to do about it, preacher? And then he got right up in the guy's grill and he said, I'm going to stare at you and I'm going to keep staring at you until you begin to look like Jesus. I tell that story not just because it ended the conflict pretty quick, but because I think that's how God's eyes work. Seeing beyond who we are in our most sinful moments and seeing instead who we might one day become. Seeing our destiny because you are precious In my sight, God says, I love you. So first, God's love notices invisible sinners. And then second, God's love sees beyond our sin to who we will one day become. And then a third thought that I have about this scripture is that God's love, God's eyes, see us up close and see us as beloved. Remember what God tells the Israelites just before he says, I love you? He says what August told y'all. I have called you by name, and you are mine. This means if your image of God is this uh, distant policeman who sits behind a desk up in Washington, D.C., getting secondhand information about you from his um, advisors who uh, put you on hold for the next available customer service representative, then I got news for you. You've got God wrong. Because the God we see in this scripture desires to see you and love you up close and desires to be in a close, 
personal relationship with the people he loves. Q-tip dance, pizza dance, and all. God loves what makes you authentically precious in his eyes. Last Sunday, uh, Debbie Chesney from our church gave a children's sermon over in the sanctuary that I've been thinking about this week. Debbie took this huge mirror up front and uh, had all the kids look into it. And she quoted Psalm number 139. She said, you are wonderful, uh, wonderfully made in my eyes. And I thought about that and I said, you know, when, when I wake up in the morning, I, I look in the mirror and that's the furthest thing from my mind. In fact, I'm a lot like Albert in the movie. Uh, I, I look in the mirror, grab the sink and the sink just about comes undone. Have you ever been there, looked in the mirror and said, well, gosh, you know, maybe if I was beautiful like Cinderella, somebody would love me more. Or maybe if I hired the love doctor, I'd be able to earn someone's love. Or maybe if I was really good looking like that princess in the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, someone would come and rescue me. Well, I got news for you. If those are your thoughts when you look in the mirror, you might want to get another mirror. Because God saw you with his own eyes, saw that you were precious, took everything he had, every good resource available, put it into Jesus Christ and gave it to you out of love. And if you know that, and if you believe that, God's love for you will never, ever end. Let us pray. God, we praise you and thank you for loving us. For while, you were yet, while we were yet still sinners, you sent uh, your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf so that we might experience your love and experience it for eternity. God, we praise you and thank you that nothing, neither death nor life nor angels nor heavenly rulers or powers or anything in the present or in the future can separate us from your love in Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a few announcements that I've been asked to make this morning. Actually, four announcements. And the first is, uh, there will be prayer ministers available for you after the service. Um, if this is the first time that you've heard about uh, uh, God's love in Jesus Christ today, uh, they would love to pray with you. Uh, or if uh, you are struggling or dealing with anything in your life and you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, those prayer uh, ministers will be available. Also, Michael Crocker has asked me to announce that if you go on the New Heights website, newheights.cc, there is a link where you can send in questions about either the Bible, the church, um, or just about anything. And Michael is going to take those questions and use them as part of his upcoming sermon series, uh, Christianity 101, that will uh, start in a couple weeks. Also, Gina Beale, our uh, children's uh, minister here at the church, uh, asked me to announce that today is the last day for teacher training for Sunday school. And we need uh, teachers trained uh, for Sunday school for all ages, two years old uh, through the fifth grade. And that training, uh, you can meet Gina Beal out by the playground here after the service is over. Uh, and if you can't do it today, there will be a, a makeup training on Thursday the 10th at 7 p.m. 
Also, next week is the uh, Back to School Luau, uh, and Clayto Rodriguez, the comedian, will be speaking. Uh, and he's a lot funnier than I am. And uh, he will be speaking at 11 o'clock, so there will be no 9.30 uh, service next week. And also, I'm uh, pleased to uh, introduce to you Molly Flanagan from the New Zion uh, Youth Choir, uh, who is here to tell us about a, a mission trip she recently went on. Thanks. Um, in July, 39 members of the New Zion Choir and seven adult chaperones set out on their mission trip to Oklahoma City. We knew that we would be painting a church, singing at nursing homes, and in worship. What we did not know was the great impact our work would have on us and those we were to serve. John Pooney is the pastor at Hope Community Church, a church that has been in existence for two years and is in the poorest part of the area. Pastor Pooney sent us a letter that we think best sums up our mission experience. I would like to read it to you. It was such a blessing having you guys giving to our church and community the way you did. On behalf of our church and community, again, I want to say to all of you guys a big God thank you. We will always keep you guys in our prayers and hearts. Just know this, you guys will always have a special place in our hearts. Please tell all the young people that they have left a lasting picture of Christ-like humility, love, care, sacrifice, compassion, and witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your young people reminded us that not just proclamation, but also demonstration of God's love to others serves as a powerful way of making the gospel of Jesus Christ felt by those you are serving. May God bless us all as we strive to proclaim and demonstrate his gospel to all those he will send us to serve. Thank you, Molly. Uh, here in New Heights, as you well know, we are a church uh, that looks beyond our walls, um, an outward-looking church who... Uh, uh, serves uh, in mission so that we can spread God's love, uh, not just the people uh, who are inside of our church, not just to the people inside of our church, but to those uh, uh, well beyond our doors as well. And now if you would please receive this benediction. And now as you go from this place, uh, may you know that uh, God notices you no matter where you are in your life or your Christian walk. And may you also know that God's eyes see beyond who you are in the moment and that God's eyes see that you are precious and beloved in his sight. In the name of Jesus Christ, I give you this blessing. Amen.